Amen. Thank you guys for coming today. Welcome to the mission. And uh, for those of you who are new, my name is Mark, and uh, I'm a doctor, not a preacher, or a theologian, or, or, a, or a pastor. So for some of you, that's great, because you don't have to listen to me just, you know, pass this part up. But, um, but I am an urgent care doctor, and I also actually help doctors learn how to communicate better, you know, have better bedside manner. So if you guys came here with a rash today, and you want to be treated... Um, very compassionately, you're, you're in the right place. So um, please, please don't take me up on that offer. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to do that today. I'm working later, so you can come find me there. Um, but seriously, I'm actually happy to be here today to share this message with you. And and um, we're at the end of a series called Kingdom Come, where we've been learning about how how God's kingdom can come here on earth as it is in heaven. And we've looked at how Jesus describes this kingdom and how, how he sh- we should live in the kingdom of God today. Through the stories and the parables and the gospels, we've, we've, we've learned a lot about how to live our lives in the kingdom of God. But I don't want to recap the whole series for you today. So if you guys are, have missed any of that, go to the, the missionredlands.com. We have our messages are all there. If you guys want to listen to it as a podcast while you're running on the treadmill, if that's your thing, you know, go back and, and, and ch- catch up with us. It's, it's a great way to kind of keep your, um, keep yourself in where we're at in the, in the uh, messages. So, um, so there's some things in the Bible that we, we love to talk about. The stories of David and Goliath, right? You know, Daniel in the lion's den, and, and, and Zacchaeus, he was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. All those great stories in the Bible that we love because the, the underdog wins, and God comes in and rescues the, the broken and, and wins the day, right? Those are the great stories. We love those stories. There's some things in the Bible, though, that, that are kind of more difficult, you know, like love your neighbor as yourself, Right? And those are tough because obviously that was written by somebody who didn't live in my neighborhood um, with the knuckleheads who are smoking pot right outside our, our window every night. And that's really, I'm sorry, that was very judgmental, wasn't it? I'm sorry about that. Um, excuse me for that, but uh, my wife's working with me on that. And, uh, you know, those one of the things is loving your neighbor. That's, that's good, though. We know it's good. And, and like last week, we talked about forgiveness, right? We know that we need to forgive. Um, we, we, can, we can handle those kind of verses but there are some things in the Bible, there's a third category, right? There's some things in the Bible that we would just rather skip. Like, just skip right over it. Um, those things you just wish weren't in there, right? Um, and today we're going to talk about one of those skipper verses, right? Sorry about that. Um, they're just not, not so fun. In fact, when we were planning out our sermon series, we planned it out way in advance, like two, three months ago, sat in a coffee shop and we said, ah, this would be great. Let's do kingdom of God. That'll be wonderful. Um, Chris kind of came up with a few messages. Jason and I came up with a few messages. We put it in a six week series and then found out that Chris was going to be on vacation the last two weeks and I got this one. So that was awesome. And I was thinking, great. And I get to talk about one of those skipper verses. Um, in fact, I, was, I have this sweet keyboard rig, and I was tempted, really tempted, to just keep playing music for like three more songs and just skip this whole thing. But I'm sorry. Let's, let's just jump right into this passage, okay? So let's stand together, read with me as we talk, uh, as we read from the chapter 8 of Mark. Okay, that was totally, totally set up beforehand. I didn't mean for it to be about Mark. So 
And trust me, you guys will be, you guys will be, you'll be sitting here, standing for very short times because this is a skipper verse. So, um, bring it up on the, on the, on the screen for me, will you, James? So, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. You can sit down now. Sorry. I told you you wouldn't want to sit for, stand for very long. So, this doesn't always make sense to us, right? Like, we don't want to lose our life. That doesn't seem good. It seems good to want to save our life. But Jesus talks about this a lot in the Gospels. And so, in America, it doesn't really sit well with us. Let's, let's bring up a couple of these, these uh, uh, James, if you would just uh, get those two, two statements that we have to talk, talk about next. There's a few statements that, that I've heard, and maybe you're like me. Winning isn't everything. And uh, losing isn't the end of the world. Who's heard of those statements? And who wrote those? Uh, who says these kind of statements? <laughs> Losers, exactly. Losers say these statements. We in America, we don't like to lose. We like to win. So, you know, when people say winning isn't everything and losing isn't the end of the world, I think that's, that's not true. Uh, I like to win, okay? So <laughs> some of us are more competitive than others. And, and um, some of us... Most of us grew up in America, at least learning about winning at an early age in sports. Right? For me, that's where it was. Um, whether it was baseball or soccer or badminton, I don't know. We have any good badminton players out here? Uh, okay, no, okay, sorry. Um, you know, some of it was, for, it was, some of us, it was orchestra. Like, I was always competing to be first chair in the orchestra. Now, I'm a nerd, I'm sorry. So, um, but, but that's, how I grew up. Uh, you know, I wanted to win. And maybe you were a little bit like me and you're obnoxious about winning when you're a kid. Um, you know, I, I really did hate losing. In fact, one of my first memories of playing sports um, was, was in t-ball when I was growing up. I, I, was in, I must have been in first grade-ish. Um, it was like 1981, 1982. The Dodgers had just won the World Series, if you guys remember. The World Series, no, some of you guys are way, way before your time. But, you know, it was 1981, I was seven years old, six or seven years old, and I just loved baseball. Um, and, you know, I really believed that I could be Ron Say and Bill Russell and Davey Lopes and Steve Yeager all at the same time, on the same play. Like, I really thought that I could win the game myself. Um, so it was the bottom I don't think it was the ninth. It was probably the bottom of the sixth, right, in T-ball. And, and, and there was two outs, and my team was winning, and I was playing shortstop. So I thought I was Bill Russell. The ball came to me, and I, and I throw it to the first baseman, and the dude drops it. And, and, and you know, the runner was kind of stupid, so he just kind of like looked, looked around, and I just start running after that ball. I pick up the ball because... The, the catcher must have thought that winning isn't everything. You're supposed to back up the first baseman when... I'm, I'm serious. I really like baseball. So I run. I say, dude, you're supposed to catch, I pick up the ball, throw it to the second baseman who promptly drops the ball. It goes kind of out into short left field. I start running out to the short left field. And I, I had a lot of energy when I was a kid. So I run and I pick up the ball in short left field and start running to home plate. So I thought I was Steve Yeager. I run to home plate. I get to home plate, tag that guy out. We win the game. I start jumping around. And that's right. So isn't, I mean, that was a great story, right? Um, I like to win. 
And that tells a lot about me. Um, I, I don't like to delegate. Um, but, but if you're like me, you're obnoxious sometimes when you're a kid because you hated losing. And, man, and some of you may not be that competitive, okay? But I know one thing about all of us in this room, and we hate losing. And so when we see these things, and we see what Jesus says, it kind of grates against us a little bit. So we want to win in, in our business. You know, we want to win with our family. We want our kids to win at school. Am I right? We want our kids to win in sports. We want them to go to a great college. We want to win in our relationships. We want to win in our finances. We like to win. And, and the fact is, in our culture, in America, we, don't, we, don't, we love to win so much. In fact, in politics, we see studies that have shown that most people vote for who they think will win, not who they think will be a great leader. And, and that explains a lot right about now. Um, maybe you guys like like politics. Has anybody, does anybody know what a GoFundMe campaign is or a Kickstarter campaign? Who knows what that is? Because I, I thought about these. So there's at least half of you that will understand what I'm talking about. Is it just me? Or when, the, when you see that GoFundMe campaign or Kickstarter campaign, you start seeing it move up, creeping up towards the top, and you're like, I'm going to be the one that puts it over the top. I, I, I'm never like the guy who likes to put the first... $10 in. It's always the guy who likes to beat the 10 Maybe I'm just the only one. But I like to see my friends win, but only if they looks like they're going to win. Um, so anybody who has a Kickstarter campaign, I'm that guy. Um, so we like winning sports teams, right? So please, anybody in the room, remind me how many Clippers fans there were before David Stern gifted Chris Paul to the Clippers. That's right. There was two. There was two Clippers fans. One was Billy Crystal, and the other one sitting right here in the third row. That's that's um, our bass player, Ricardo. Because nobody liked the Clippers when they stunk for thirty years. We love our winning teams, whether it's in the politics, or Olympics, or economics, or. Any other X you can think of. Uh, we in America love our winners. In fact, we don't even like allowing losers anymore. We look for, for this, for, 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 for a win-win negotiation, right? Or maybe it's our, our kids' sports teams, right? They, they give out this trophy. It says, if you had fun, you won. Yeah. I don't know. So we just don't like to lose. So for those of us who are Jesus followers, let's be honest here though, sometimes following Jesus, it just feels like kind of choosing to lose. I mean, we see our our colleagues at work and and they're making choices with the truth that we won't make because because of our convictions, because we believe in, in in the way that Jesus taught. And they're getting ahead and sometimes it feels like we're losing. And we see our neighbors going on these incredible vacations, right? We're having beautiful cars and, 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 and you know, spending all this money frivolously. And, and we realize that, you know, Jesus is calling us to spend our money differently. And, and sometimes it feels like we're giving something up. We're losing. We see our other families that are choosing to spend their weekends doing, you know, SAT preparation or, or, or you know, I don't know, baseball hitting lessons or uh, soccer that's on the weekends and, and we spend we choose to spend our time 
with our family or, or at church, and, and, and it, sometimes it feels like we're getting behind, our kids are getting behind, and it feels like losing. And if you're not a Jesus follower, if you're in this room today and you're not a Jesus follower, I mean, maybe this is one of the reasons why, why you haven't taken that next step. Because, because when you hear what it means to follow Jesus, when you find out all the rules and all the regulations, it seems like we all Christians talk about, um, it just feels like you wanna, you're going to be giving up something, giving up too much. And sometimes it feels like Jesus, following Jesus will cost too much. And from the very beginning of Jesus' teaching, he actually, he's actually very upfront with this, that it's going to cost something to follow Jesus. And he was telling the crowds all around him about this idea. I mean, that, that following him will cost us something. So let's look at what led up to the verse that we ta- read earlier. Let's go to the next section here, here James. Jesus starts by asking, uh, who do you think that I am? He asks this to his disciples, and Peter pipes up and says, you are the Messiah, right? You, you're the one we've been waiting for, Jesus you're the man, and, and, and you've come as the promised king of Israel. We know that you are going to be victorious. And Jesus then confirmed this, and, and, it, and it changed their world. Like they, they really believed that they were going to win in this life. They knew that they were aligned with the king of all creation, and they knew that he was saving them, and he knew in their mind, they thought, we're going to march into Jerusalem and, and change the world. And then Jesus tells his, his disciples, his closest followers, this here. He says, He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders. The chief priests and the teachers of the law and, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. He spoke plainly. He wasn't hiding this. And Peter took him aside and he began to rebuke him. So Peter just said, you're the Messiah. And he starts rebuking him. I don't think that's very smart. Like if it was me, I think I'd just not do that. That's probably not a good idea. But um, Jesus says, I am the Messiah. But you keep using that word and, and... I do not think it means what you think it means. That's from Princess Bride. So you keep using that word, but I do not think it means what you think it means. And Peter doesn't like this idea, and he starts rebuking Jesus. He wasn't thinking clearly, but I think the problem is that he had a plan. He he had an idea about what his life was going to be like now that he knows that Jesus is the Messiah. And he had an idea how about this was all going to end up. But when Jesus flips this up on, his, on its head and says, I'm going to die. I'm going to die for the whole world. For Jesus' followers, that, that meant things were going to get a little bit scary. Not just a little bit scary, really scary. Because, you see, Jesus' followers, they were, they were kind of outlaws in the, in the Jewish culture. And, and obviously the Roman Empire was not big on this Jewish religion. And if Jesus wasn't going to be the literal king, 
If he was going to suffer and die, you see, if what Jesus said was true, they might die as well. And one thing is clear about the culture of the time. Death and persecution, execution. This was much more prevalent, much more obvious than it is today. And Peter speaks up, probably not out of malice, not saying, Jesus, you're wrong. No, he's saying, please don't be right. Because if what Jesus said was true, they were going to be in trouble. And Peter had legitimate concerns. And he was trying to speak reason into Jesus, but then Jesus says something really interesting. He says this, But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Merely human concerns. I mean, Jesus calls him Satan, which I think is kind of harsh. I mean, come on, Jesus. But, but I think the reason he says that is because it's actually tempting for Jesus to solve these human concerns. I mean, I think Jesus saw the concerns of Peter. He saw how scared he was, and he said, I see those concerns. I see those concerns, but I'm just not concerned about those concerns. Because I see a bigger picture. God has a different plan. You see, Jesus, Jesus sees those concerns. Peter has legitimate concerns about what's coming up. The stakes were high for them. Like we said before, he's worried we're all going to die and all the teachings and all, all, the, all the wonderful things that you've been telling us, they're just going to be lost. But Jesus knows the future. He knows what's coming. But isn't it true that when we bump into choices in life, when we must choose to follow Jesus, sometimes it raises concerns. I mean, we're concerned about our reputation. We're concerned about making ends meet. We're concerned about what people might think. We're concerned about how our family might be affected. You know, notice what Jesus doesn't say, though. He didn't say Peter's concerns weren't legitimate he wasn't saying God didn't care about these concerns. In fact, I think the reason Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, is because really Jesus was tempted to fix it all right then. Jesus understands all of our concerns. He cares about our concerns. He just isn't concerned about those concerns. I see, in order for them and for us today to ultimately win in what concerns God. Jesus had to pay that ultimate price. He had to die on the cross. He had to lose everything. He had to lose his life. Such a beautiful, poignant moment for them. See, Peter's concerns were legitimate. And in, in, in looking back at it, actually Peter, I mean, many of the disciples lost their lives. So he was right. Jesus knew that winning, though, would come first by losing. I mean, it would be easy to, for Jesus to just say, I don't want to die either. Let's go storm Jerusalem and take back what's rightfully ours. In fact, Jesus knew that that wasn't what needed to happen. Jesus knew that humanity needs something so much more than an earthly king. And then Jesus brought down the crowd. He said, he didn't just keep it among the elite. He, he didn't just keep it among his 
disciples, his closest followers, he told everyone around him this fact. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and he said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. Deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. You know, the people of that day, they knew what a cross meant. It was a dominant and common form of execution in their culture. And it wasn't something people just hung around their neck. It would be like us today saying, whoever wants to be my disciple, whoever wants to be my disciple must kneel in an orange jumpsuit in front of a masked man with a big knife in the middle of a desert. How many of you have seen that type of execution in the news? And that was just what Jesus was telling them. He said, you're going to be executed. You're going to be killed. That's what, that's what, he, that's what it cost his disciples, some, most of his disciples. And you would think that if, if this is what he was saying, if he was saying, you're going you're gonna to have to choose to lose, sometimes choose to lose your life. You would think Jesus would have kind of wanted to keep that quiet. But do you know that in all four accounts of Jesus' life, in all four of the Gospels, this verse is mentioned every time. In, some of the, in two of the Gospels, in Matthew and in Luke, this exact conversation is recorded twice. So it was an important theme of the Gospels that we had to give up something. Let's go to the next verse here. It says, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? You know what Jesus knew? That in order to follow them, they were going to have to hold everything everything with open hands. Even their own lives. They'd have to put the concerns of God above their own concerns. And you'd have to be willing to fight through that feeling, that fear of losing. I mean, we can't even imagine this in America, right? It's, it's not dangerous not to follow Jesus. I mean, sorry, it's not dangerous to follow Jesus, I'm sorry. Sure, I mean, we whine about being persecuted in the culture and by our politicians. And in and, and, and Jesus' time, they truly knew what persecution looked like. And they were going to pay with their life. But one thing that we know is true is that winning anything significant in life involves choosing to lose something else. So winning anything significant involves choosing to lose Something else. I mean, we know this is intuitively true. Uh, this is something your parents tried to tell you when you were kids, right? I mean, some of you are still students or kids. Um, and they tried to tell you, the more you study now, the more options you'll have later, right? The more you study now, the better college you can get into. The more you study now, the more you delay gratification now, the better you're going to do in the future. We, we all kind of know this is intuitively true. Delaying gratification, delaying what we want now for the future... It kind of works in life, too. I mean, think about the Olympics. Every gold medal winner, they chose to give up something significant in order to dedicate their life to, to, to winning in their event. 
I mean, they probably chose to give up donuts, which is kind of a tragedy, right? I mean, in fact, the gold medal winners were probably the biggest losers before they were winners. Because they, they weren't hanging out with their friends and partying. They were, they, were, they were working. For people in my field, like doctors, I know many of my friends who are physicians, they gave up a lot. A lot of being cool in high school. I mean, I didn't do that. I, I was cool, right? <laughs> my wife is in the front row. She knows I was a really cool college age. No, she's, I wasn't, sorry. So um, many of us chose our, our, to, to spend our time in the library and studying. And now we have a different life. And we chose to lose something. And I'm, I'm not saying that to say, oh, you should do what I did or you should. But it's just kind of intuitive. It just makes sense, right? And whether a Christian, whether you're a Christian or not, you know this is how the world works. But, but this isn't just a self-help strategy. I just, I just want to make sure that's clear. See, the difficulty, difficulty of following Jesus is, is choosing to lose something. And it, it can be a financial decision to follow Jesus' teaching about how we should spend our money or how we should be generous. Or maybe it's following God's call to, to give more of your time. It may be investing in a relationship that you know you're not going to get anything back out of. God is calling you to choose to lose something in your life. For something greater in his kingdom. God is calling you to choose to lose something right now. So that his kingdom will come here on earth. It may be a habit or an addiction. He's asking you to just give it up. It may be a dream that you always had. A dream for your life that you see out in the future. This is what I'm going to be. And God's calling you to give that up. That's That's hard. I don't know what it is for you, but it's going to feel sometimes like you're losing something for the sake of gaining the life that Jesus is calling you to. For, for most of you, most of you know my wife. My wife Adrienne is in the front row here. What some of you don't know is that, that she has a master's degree in public health and nutrition. She reminded me of that. Sorry, I can't say that. And she's a registered dietitian, nutritionist. Uh, that makes her an MPHRD. And there's so many... Uh, acronyms. She has so many letters behind her name, way more than I do, so she, that makes her the boss of our house. So just, just so you know that. <laughs> My wife is an amazing teacher. She's a health educator. She loves teaching people how to, how to improve their life and how to, how to do, do better with their diet and their nutrition. She was awesome at it. I mean, she, she took care of people with diabetes and weight management, cholesterol. She worked at Kaiser Permanente for many for a few years before while we got when we were first married. But she had to cha- she had to change that plan when um, when we decided to raise a family. You see, some of you know the story of of, of our family. At the first born daughter that we had, her name was Carissa. She was born 10 years ago. Um, and at the time that Adrienne made the choice to stay home with our daughter, it felt like losing something. It felt like giving something up. To me, as the guy who was paying the bills in our household, it felt like losing a significant chunk of cash in our bank account. 
And we had school loans to pay, her school loans to pay. And she was giving that up so that she could take care of one person. She studied her life to take care of people in the medical field and chose to give that up to take care of our family. And at the time she made that choice to stay home with, a, with our daughter, it felt like losing something. To me, I just felt like, gosh, this is, this is tough for her. And some of you know the story of our firstborn daughter, Carissa. She had seizures and she had special needs and it was a lot of work to take care of her. And after three and a half years here on earth, she, she lost her life. And talk about losing a life that meant so much. My wife gave up a career that she spent so many years pursuing to help this one little person. And it made a big difference in her life. But at that moment, it felt like we lost everything. And when God blessed us with twin boys and another baby girl, (laughs) I know that sometimes she feels like she's still losing her mind, honestly. Because it's hard to take care of all those kids. I mean, in in choosing to lose her career, that life was so much easier. You know, you just kind of go to work, you do your thing. But she's made a huge impact on the kingdom of God by taking care of our family. And I'm not saying that to say that anybody in this room should do that. I'm not... Again, this is, this is something that God's, something God is calling you to do is going to be difficult and uncomfortable. It's not necessarily that I'm telling you you have to do what, what we've done. But when God was calling us to start a family and for Adrienne to quit her career, and even now, last night at 2 in the morning, when Preston was awake, crying, Sometimes it feels like you've given something up and you're losing something. And if the disciples had allowed themselves to be overwhelmed by that feeling of losing in the moment, they'd have lost out on a far greater promise of what was to come. You see, they were to endure some of the most overwhelming persecution and Jesus is making it clear that they needed to do this in order to gain the whole world. All of us are here because of that choice that the disciples made to lose their lives, to lose what they thought was coming. And the truth is everybody loses something. The truth is everybody loses something. You can't get past losing something. You're giving something up by choosing something else. And the question isn't, can you get away from it? The question is, what are you going to choose to lose? What are you going to choose to lose tonight? And at that moment of choice, when God's calling to make that choice, to follow Him, it might cost you everything. What are you going to choose to lose? I know some of you feel like you're losing right now. You feel like you're losing right now and you wish you could just go back and make a different choice. To choose to lose that one thing that you thought was so significant at the time. If you'd have chosen differently, it would have had a different outcome now. Sometimes we have those regrets because we chose to, to lose something less significant, right? And some of you may decide just not to follow Jesus, not to choose this path. I just want to encourage you to think about that. If you decide in the moment to live your own life, 
to go it alone, to, to skip it. You owe it to yourself to know what you're choosing to lose. Are you forfeiting your soul? Are you going to forfeit your soul because you want to choose your own life? Maybe it's time to choose up, choose giving up what you think is important for the sake of the bigger picture. For the sake of God's kingdom here on earth. And if you're not a Jesus follower, this applies to you so much. Don't let the feeling of losing keep you from following Jesus. The question is not what you're going to win or lose. The question is, what are you choosing to lose? I mean, Jesus himself felt the same way. In the Garden of Gethsemane, you might know this story uh, right before Jesus was about to go to the cross and die for us. He prayed to God to keep him from losing his life. He said, God, keep me from losing my life. I don't want to do this. I'm hoping to find another way. See, he had an ability, he had the ability to make a different choice. But he chose to lose his life to gain so much more. He saved the lives of you and me and the whole world. Amen. And that's the choice Jesus made. This is the choice that changed the whole world and all of humanity. But the truth is, in that moment of choice, your Savior felt exactly the same way. He just wanted to skip it. He wanted to look past it. He wanted to get, find any way around it. But he felt the same way that you do right now. And I don't know what's going to happen in your life if you choose the path Jesus is calling you to. And the disciples didn't truly know either. Peter was so concerned about his own life. He was so concerned about his own life. And the vision that he, he had for where he was going to go. He had legitimate concerns. I, I know that you have legitimate concerns too. The truth is, I don't know what's going to happen with your finances if you choose to conduct your business differently. I don't know what's going to happen with your finances if you give more generously. I don't know what's going to happen to your calendar if you say no to work more often. I literally don't know because I never do. Um, I'm working on that too. I'm not sure what's going to happen if you don't get that grade on that test by giving up cheating. I don't know what your boyfriend or girlfriend will say if you stop sleeping with them. I don't know what people will think of you if you get help with your addiction. I know we all have concerns. I know we all have concerns when we follow Jesus. But here's what I do know. Your heavenly Father, He knows about those concerns. He's just not concerned about those concerns. He loves you. He wants the best for you. And He's just he's not concerned about that. He cares about you, but He knows the end. There's a promise in Scripture. And the promise is that if you choose to lose what seems like everything, the promise is that you will gain something far greater in the future. And the promise was made by someone who lost his life for you and for me so that we could have eternal life, so that we could live this life in God's kingdom. So what are you going to choose to lose?
Let's pray. God, we thank you for preserving these words in, in your in your gospels. And even though it's difficult and it's something we'd like to just skip over, God, we don't like losing. But God, we know that you have a plan for us. We know that your kingdom here on earth requires us to choose to give up our life, to give up our idea of what's right and follow you. And God, I ask that you would give us give us wisdom to know what to do with that voice that's in our head right now that's saying, I, I need to give this up. I need to lose this. I need to change my life. I need to change the direction I'm going. Give us the wisdom to know what to do with those things. Give us the courage, God. Give us the courage to take that first step to make to make that first step towards towards you, God. Because we know that that you came to earth to save us. May your kingdom come. May your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray.